you know, it is a balance. And, and in that one, we were trying to balance, you know, the parking quantity and the level and, and to be appropriate for the project. And that was one of the ways we were trying to utilize in an existing basement and some other things that were sort of nuanced in the project. But it's difficult and it's really difficult to sort of go through a process. But I think that that's one that obviously is very sort of respected in terms of the entity that runs it. So that was that was a, a really amazing process through the community. Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode number 70 with your hosts, Mark Svatsky from Choose Boston. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. And joining us today are our guests. Eric Robinson from Rody Architects. And Kevin Diebler from Rody Architects. Awesome. Eric, Kevin, thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. Nice to be here. It's nice uh, to be in person. It, it sure is, is. It's a nice development. Thanks for that. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah of course. We was, planned it just for you. <laughs> Thank you. You were really I think working we've, hard on those vaccines, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we've rescheduled this a couple times too. When we were just yeah. waiting to be in the same room, we yes. figured that would be yes. easier. So made sense. It is better conversation. It's much better conversation. Yeah. And to I, that end, it's why offices is not dead. No. Exactly. No. Yeah. We just came from the office earlier and, and just hearing conversations. It was it was amazing. Just like three people clustered around a desk talking to each other. It it you know. It's sort of like alive again, the, the collaboration that, that happens uh, in our office. We really missed and we, we tried so hard over the pandemic to recreate it. And there are a lot of tools that we discovered, but, you know, the, being in the office and talking to people and like seeing their teeth while they talk, yeah, you know, right, like, right. Like, <laughs> you know, it's cheesy, but like smiles are kind of cool, you know, like uh, just actually seeing what's going on. And, and when you're talking to someone, it uh, makes a huge difference. And you don't have that like half second delay with that awkward, oh, oh no, you go, you go, you go. Yeah. Well, and we, yeah. we, 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 we had a pretty productive COVID and we, we hired people during COVID. We, I think we had, I don't know, four people maybe that started during the, the, that year. And, you know, when we all finally got together and people were so shocked about how, oh, you're a lot taller than I thought or shorter. Yeah. Well, well, your hair's that color, you know, it's like, so just those weird moments of, you know, humanity. It's amazing <laughs> to have it back in the office. And, you know, our, our office is, is so much built on, on these sort of experiences of being together. Like it's like we really work very collaboratively. And so, you know, it's good and bad on a lot of levels. And now we can tell each other, you know, what kind of mood we're in and who to stay away from and all those things. So it's, it's pretty yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Mark. I think that it will change. I think the makeup of office will change, but I think that it's not, it's not dead whatsoever. I guess one clarification I would have is that I think that there will be a flight to quality. I think that, you know, if you have a Google or a Facebook office space and it's an interactive, it's a fun place to be. Absolutely. I I'm long on that, but like a strip mall that's now converted to six dumpy offices, I'll sit at my office at home. So well, it just won't I think for shopping much. malls are the same. And I think offices, both that kind of a flight to quality. Have you seen commercial space, additional commercial space work come up again, or is it still kind of slow from the commercial front? So I think it's probably, you know, for commercial sake, it's slow, but I think what we're hearing and talking to a lot of our clients about is repositioning of the, 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 the old commercial space and, and, and how can that start to sort of lead the way, you know, forward in, in terms of reduction of space or, or repositioning of it altogether. And, I think that is something that we're going to see a lot more of because I do think you know, we're going to change how we work and we're going to change how we work too at Rody. But 
I think, you know, we make the magic together, but I think we are also excited to give our employees the opportunity to work from home in a little bit more of a flexible manner if they, you know, just need to stay home and focus or whatever, you know, impact they might have in at home. That's that's cool. But I think we're going to see bricks and mortar m- make some changes in the next little bit as people sort of constrict and consolidate and change the way that they work. And I think that's a really cool potential, you know, project typology out there that's going to happen. And we'll see, you know, there's, there's been discussions of into uh, conversions into residential and we all mm-hmm. know the the metrics of residential and commercial are different. So um, therein lies a, a pretty cool you know opportunity to use a little bit of design work to solve some problems. So yeah, that's awesome. I feel like we always jump right into conversation, which is great. But um, just to back <laughs> like, who up are we a talking half a step, here? yeah. So Eric and Kevin founded Rody Architects in 2005. You guys are all over the city. You guys do some really great architecture design work. I guess the first question is just what, what sort of separates Rody from other design firms? What do you guys uh, really think of yourself? What's your favorite typology? And uh, I'll let you take it from there. I think what, what separates us, um, well, God, probably should have come prepared for that yeah. one. You know, but, uh, I think we just really work extremely hard at the process. And it really is something that's, I think, sincere from uh, started, you know, I guess with Eric and I, where we began the firm in in Dorchester, kind of like leaving our previous firms and starting out on our own, really just kind of like getting started and and being kind of tired of uh, what we were seeing coming through the planning boards and, and, you know, what was being sort of, you could say, pushed on onto the community. And we just really started to kind of put our put ourselves in that seat. I mean, we were there kind of contributing to things in our in our neighborhood, but I think once we started to see how well neighborhoods could react to the way we were just going through our process of diagramming, we could you know, show them the process of urban design and things like that. It just started to kind of like build on top of itself. And, and we just tend to care a lot about the, the projects and how they come and how they impact the, the neighborhood and the environment. And that makes our projects successful, that makes us sought out by, you know, the development community to, to do these and to have success through that, that process and not look at the, at the, the development as a, as a fight, but as an opportunity to work. And I think that we just have, again, really try to work on that process hard. It's, it's been very successful here in Boston, but it's happening all over, you know, the area. I think it, it just, you know, keeps growing. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's definitely your your reputation. And so your phone's still ringing off the hook with new opportunities? Off the hook. Yeah. Two more floors to the space and hiring new architects all the time? Hiring's the problem right now. It's hard um, to get talent. It's very tight right now yeah. uh, in the market, and which is, I, you know, it's a good thing. We're not, that's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, we, we, are, we are out looking. I think we, we work really hard on our culture at the, the firm and, and the office. And so um, we love finding a new talent that's really excited about design, working in the communities. We do majority of our work is sort of out in the neighborhoods. Um, and so there's a real, I think, benefit to being part of those processes during, you know, with the community and the abutters and mm-hmm. the neighbors. And yes, it's sometimes tough, no doubt about it. But I think at the end, the reward is pretty awesome. So you're shaping the communities that you're putting, you know, architecture in. And like Kevin said, we, we started in our own neighborhood. We, when we started Rody, it was, I know you guys love stories. And so like, you know, I moved to Dorchester in 
2000. So this is my 21st year on in my house. And, you know, I think it goes a year later or so the neighbor two doors down said, Hey, I'm moving, you know, anybody who wants to move in. And I was like, I got the perfect sucker. And you know, <laughs> next, thing I know, next thing I know, Diebler's moving truck is pulling up and, and he moved in. And, you know, so we lived two doors down from each other while we were still working at our previous firms. And, and then, you know, we kind of hatched Rody out of his second floor or first floor unit, second floor, second unit in his two family we had no bathroom, we had nothing. And we started there and we really focused on, you know, trying to make our own community better. And that's kind of where it started. And, you know, that comes with its licks when you're, you know, out walking to get coffee and people are like, ah, you're making our name. But you also get the, um, you know, the, the praise when, you know, projects like the daily market is uh, in our neighborhood at Savin Hill Tea Station. And it, people are like, how did we even live in the neighborhood without this awesome market? And so, you know, it's, it's very rewarding when you're going through that process with within your own community. And I think we learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we learned a lot in those years. I agree. And we, we Dorchester is near and dear to Dan and our, ours heart as well. And Mark, you'll be a resident soon, right? Indeed. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yes. So we're all Dorchester boys almost. Hope, Hope's Hill. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I believe I believe your firm has been representing the development over uh, where there was a church near uh, the Ashmont Tea Stop. And uh, Dan and I went to one of the community meetings and, and uh, Kevin, to your point earlier, you know, the whole design of it, like the massing study. So the presentation showing, okay, here's a block and then here's how we pulled back and everything. So that, to me, that just shows, you know, you're going from like five story, you're scaling it down to four to three, kind of transitional. I just kind of like that design and it tells the story, right? You'd, instead of just going in, here's my floor plan. I want this approved. So I, I think that's a good way to work with the community. It's funny, architecture students go in, they think that they're signing up for a nine to five desk job, but God bless your families. You're out probably three nights a yeah. week, right? Like, Yep. And, and that was, uh, it was definitely like a, a tough part of, you know, we, we started roadie with like literally nothing. It yeah. wasn't like a, a huge project that we, you know, pulled down and it just was, you know, one project at a time and, you know, Saturdays and things like that. We had to go into like residential clients before. We were kind of just testing out working with each other. We, we actually met, it, met in uh, undergrad at NC State in 1990. So we've been friends for 30 years and we, we violated business rule number one, which is start a, anything with your a friend. And, uh, um, and then it was, you know, a lot of support by both of the Jennifers. Uh, we each have wives named Jennifer those days when, you know, kids were young and all that. And we were like, well, we're going to try this out and like go meet clients and, and sort of like do that. It was, it was tough. It was a personal thing, but that it just, you know, created a, I think, you know, like a, a hunger in, in each of us and a, and a way to, that building time was like 2005 to 2008. So like right in the middle of 2008 was when we were like, this is a good time to start a firm. <laughs> and uh, and it just was went. like, yeah. almost like the Wall Street Journal was watching us, you know, go through this process. And like, so we started then and um, the economy crashed and, and we were, you know, sitting in that apartment in the bedroom of the apartment <laughs> and uh, just listening to NPR and how depressing it was, how the economy was horrible and 40% unemployment for architects and, you know, so I think that we, we I've always said that we're recession babies and it helped us, I think, kind of, you know, persevere through this last year, which was another one of those moments of like, wow, it's kind of tough owning a business here. 
uh, in this environment. But um, those those were the things that uh, you know I think really kind of made made it you know easy for us is kind of like just keep keep at it you know the survival. Yeah, it definitely helps you uh, become more resilient. That's for sure. So do you guys do you guys focus on a specific uh, niche uh, from an architectural standpoint, or do you focus on a wide range, you know, do you focus mainland residential, commercial, mixed use, industrial, or all of the above? Yes. Right. Okay. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably one of those things where, I mean, we talk a lot about ourselves and the firm is, you know, we're, we're a collection of designers and, and architects. And, you know, so I think we, we really use our kind of craft and our tool of, of solving problem solving. I mean, that's all, that's all architects and designers are, right? We solve problems or, or sort of strategize and things. And so I think what we have kind of come to the sort of places and that, you know, we can, we can pretty much do any project typology. I think, you know, we, we really sort of accept or appreciate our clients as they're, they're sort of experts in their field. And, and, you know, we listen to what they have to say, and it might be a restaurant, a chef or something in terms of one of our hospitality restaurant projects. But, you know, they bring an, a, an area of expertise to a to the table, and then we bring our expertise to the table in terms of problem solving or creating. And so it really lends itself to adapting to almost any project type. Sure, we got to learn things, right? And that's okay. We're, we're, we're still eager to work hard and, and do what we need to do. So, you know, we don't have necessarily a specialty, but we do a lot, but we are doing a lot of multifamily right now. And, you know, I think most everybody in the city is, and, you know, and that's something that we really enjoy. Cause again, going back to this whole kind of community-based process that we've kind of developed. So. And what about size wise? Are you, you focus mainly, you know, will you do single families or three families or are you focusing on, Kind of larger. I mean, we, we do. We do do some single family. Again, we're a collection of designers, so the um, we we love designing apartments and you know lots of them, stacking them or spreading them out or, or whatever the site you know asks for. But when you do a single family residential, like details, all of a sudden matter a lot more. They matter everywhere, but the um, in the in the sort of smaller projects, you can focus on things. There's a, there's a satisfaction to figuring out these small little details that are fun. I mean, we live in houses and, and there's, mm-hmm. you know, details all around us. And so it, the creative process is, is a little different on that. So we, we kind of enjoy going there, but I think that uh, uh, there's not a lot of single family. It's just more like relationships, certain requests come up or a site pops up. We'll take it. We're doing three singles in um, West Roxbury right now on Brucewood Ave near VFW Parkway, all passive house. So ground up, really a passion project for, for this particular client. And uh, we're really getting in, into sort of understanding the, the process of designing in, with a passive house uh, system um, and certification. So, you know, we do things like this, as small as that to a large industrial building or high rises. And we're not really kind of like limiting ourselves right now in terms of like what we try to tackle. It, it really is just opportunities based on the, the client's needs and, you know, what, what happens. Picking back up on the details and drawings and such, there's, there's sort of a trope or, uh, you know, talk to older builders out there and there's this notion that like back in the day, design used to be, and these days, you know, the drawings are lacking this or they're, do you, do you see any truth in that? I, I, 
I was just about to say the same thing. I was, uh, the biggest critique we hear from proposals is, oh, it's everything's boxy. The building's boxy, right? Is that well, what you're getting I, at? I, I don't even mean the design. You're talking I, about I literally, the jet, I literally mean like, the you prints know, the, the prints. Yeah, like the quality. Oh. It's the contractors, right? And it, it's it's maybe a little bit of an excuse sometimes or a crutch, but, um, and I'm not saying I subscribe to it, but I'm just <laughs> asking you to respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, listen, I mean, the, the documents is the common language to get something built, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want something built how you want it built, then you got to draw the damn thing, right? And, and I, so I think that, and we believe that in the office. I mean, we actually, you know, we pride ourselves on putting together a good set of draw, drawings and documents. It honestly, it's a hell of a lot easier to spend the time drawing than figuring it out in the field later mm-hmm. yeah. and a lot more brain damage to do it that way. So we actually pride ourselves on trying to put together a good comprehensive set of drawings that does tackle details because we care about what things look like. Yeah. I mean, and we really try to do that. And I think there's certainly um, clients and, and people out there that don't care as much, right? They, they are looking for something a little more generic. Mm-hmm that we might not be the right fit for them. And, and, you know, we're, we're confident enough to say that. And I think we, we are, we are looking, you know, we look for clients as much as clients look for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that our process is, is sound and, you know, the experience is good. And, you know, we want to see things from start to finish. That's important to us. We're builders at heart. We love to build. Mm -hmm. And so I think we, we take it seriously. And, and, you know, we, we are, the, the firm is, you know, we're, about 30 now. And it's really populated by folks that have been in all different firms in the city. Right. So it's not, they're not all roadie babies, right? Yeah. We have a couple and Ben, who's our number one employee who <laughs> we hired back when we were in Kevin's too. He's still with us. Right. And you know, he's, he's amazing to, you know, and the poor guy is stuck with us, but, um, and you know, <laughs> but I think everybody else brings sort of a level of knowledge and experience from their firms. And, you know, they, they've been at all different firms in the city. So you know, I think we've kind of come together and, and created this sort of process that's important. And, you know, we're now, I think it's like 15 years where, you know, we're now figuring out the roadie way to do stuff, right? Before it was always like kind of a hybrid of this and that. Oh, we did it here like that. Let's do it like this. And now we're doing it our way. So but that's I, pretty I cool. I think you try to answer the question a little bit. And I I, I sort of liked how you did it because it, it it is true, though, that technology has, has is our worst enemy. And, and a lot of times you can just go up to a building and, and just see that, ooh, they really kicked that one out quickly. And it has all the materials <laughs> that you want to see. It's got, it's got windows. It yeah. probably works on the inside, but like it is a box and uh, it's a, like a painted box and it, they feel like they came out of a plotter, mm-hmm. and, you know, so. Uh, it's a hearty box. It's a yeah, hearty box. It's, it's hearty. Just like you know, very uh, minimal detail, but that's minimalist it, design. Like, so is yeah. that the design? No. Is that the design? Uh, I think you know it's, what I'm it's all joking. about like how fast it could be drawn and, yeah. and was it repeated? I, I, oh, I brought that from this, you know, other project cut and copy. And, you know, it just, uh, you can, you can develop buildings so fast right now with, with, uh, uh CAD and, and, uh, all the technology of the modeling the 3d modeling that is, but like we actually still build a lot of physical models. And one of the expansion projects at our office was a model shop and the aspect of just understanding the scale, you know, we, we, we know that there's a lot of firms and a lot of buildings in, in the city where are really well done, but you, you walk up to them and you can tell that whoever designed this built a model and they thought about it and they thought about the, the massing and its impact and all that. 
And you go up to other ones. And again, it just sort of looks like, well, that was just printed yesterday. Um, so we, we strive to, you know, find the really interesting solutions. And a lot of times with Boston, not any two sites are the same, you know, so there's not like the, you know, a rectangle that you can just sort of find in one site to the next. You, you really have all sorts of constraints here. And it's a shame that we're seeing so many, you know, boxy buildings and, and things like that. Um, yeah. So kind of building on uh, what you said earlier about how you guys, you know, you're builders and you love to build. And Mark and I were talking about this yesterday. So, you know, we all know the the craziness, the uh, costs of materials these days and, you know, land acquisition has gotten crazy as well. So how do you balance, you know, the cost to build versus design and kind of where those intertwine these days? Because it's just, you know, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And, and, and I'll be honest, that's hard too. And it's becoming harder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think all buildings have very similar components, right? They, as mentioned by Kevin, they have siding and they have windows and they have, you know, those aspects of it. So I think we know that's kind of going to be, you know, part of the project, obviously. I think we really think a lot about the massing of our projects and sort of the bigger moves of our projects that kind of go back to our community process and sort of the, the project you mentioned over in Ashmont on Talbot Ave. And, you know, so we think about these moments and how the building fits in and then, you know, the material palette and the cladding will come later. But what we try to do is actually think about it early on and how the massing is going to sort of shape that project and that. And so I think a lot of our projects are uh, a bit more sculptural in, in, in essence as they are sort of put together. And then, you know, it really takes a little bit of pressure off what the final materials are because the building has more richness to it associated with the, as a proportional sort of object or whatever it might be. And so, you know, you can sort of see different things. So it's not about like taking a box and decorating the box. It's about sort of taking architecture and massing and sort of putting it on a site to respond to whatever it is or enhance some quality of whatever it might be. And so I think we sort of take a slightly different tact on that. So you know, materials matter, of course, <laughs> but yeah. we also know there's budgets and, you know, all the real things that go with it. And, and we're, we're struggling with that right now. And, you know, we're, we have a lot of projects in budgeting, I guess you'd say right now. And, you know, to have weekly meetings with contractors that are watching the commodities market is like, what the hell is going on? Right. And, and there's, they're watching the lumber prices go, Oh, it's 1400 a day. And tomorrow, you know, tomorrow, whatever, it's gonna be $1,273. You know, and it's just like, you know, we're <laughs> architects and designers, but, but that's all, that's where we are right now. And it's, and supply chain is all another uh, issue, right? You know, no one could get anything. So it doesn't even matter if you can afford it, you can't get it. You know, so um, these are all issues that we're, we are definitely dealing with. A buddy of mine was finishing his uh, multi in Eastie and he had two buyers moving in and couldn't get washer dryers. So I very generously, I had smartly ordered mine from my current project a long time. I called, called my friend Brendan. I said, you can give Jason my washer dryer here. And uh, here I am in June. And now I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, I, now I can't get a washer dryer. You so. can take them back though, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can get yeah. a washer dryer. You just may not like the model that you get. Yeah. <laughs> We like, ordered appliances for a building that we're, we're finishing up now. We ordered them last November and they still so, couldn't get them all to us. Yeah, they so can, crazy. I think Samsung ended up canceling like half of them. Yeah. I think there's just so much unknown out there, obviously. And yeah. it's just like, it's crazy time, but you know, what are you going to do? So, I mean, something we talk about on the podcast a lot is the, mo the notion of like choosing your moments 
And I always like to say, you know, to be a developer and just pick the Rolls Royce at every opportunity would be the easiest thing in the world. Like, but what actually makes a good developer is to know like, okay, when do I have to go Rolls Royce? And when is it acceptable to take the Toyota or the, you know, fill in the blank. And so I think you guys have done a nice job of that, trying to like pick materialities and, and use facades that are exciting, but maybe only at the ground floor, maybe in this spot in the building, but as you turn the corner. So can you speak to that? Is there any other kind of like efficiencies or things that you think about as the design is developing where, you know, maybe you can help the developer keep his pro forma intact, but also provide a great design? Oh, I think we just, you know, we really work to understand, you know, the standards, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you have to respect that there are things that shouldn't be reinvented, you know, and if you can, you know, try to adopt as many of those things like smart best practices and, and kind of, you know, go, go quickly through certain parts of the process that ends up just saving a lot of time and headache. You know, we're talking about more about like laying out units efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just really trying to make the building plan come together and then just sort of work on it step by step and, and try to have something that, you know, has a little bit of a backbone to it. Like this works no matter mm-hmm. how you turn it left. You know, usually it's a double loaded corridor and 65 feet wide and mm-hmm. all that. You kind of like know what the uh, parameters are to, you know, build something efficiently and then just focus on, on what are the, you know, you know, simple moves or, you know, twist or turn that is important. It doesn't have to be like a weak little surface on the end of one building. It can be a little bit more holistic. Um, and I also feel like it's, it's usually some kind of amenity that you can talk about that's, a, you know, um, valuable to either the residents or the neighborhood or, mm-hmm. or something. There's something sort of like special about the, the the thing that you're creating that's not just oh that thing's going to make a lot of money for the developer mm-hmm. you know you you want to have something that everybody can kind of talk about and rally around and um and and you know be proud of you know you created this thing and and like you know apartments shouldn't be thought of as as bad thing in, in our neighborhood you know or the the city they just bring people they bring life to to places that you know nowadays probably doesn't exist on a, mm-hmm. on a block and all that. So I think that we, we try to take the, you know, I guess you could say the good and the bad about, you know, like you're sort of like occupying this volume in the air with a building, but you, you need to um, really think about the impact that, that it's going to make and, and, you know, try to just focus on that and let, let people, you know, kind of get around it. Yeah. And I think that we also think like, buildings can have Rolls Royces and Toyotas in the same building. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like you, it's just about finding the little bit of the magic of design yeah. in the, in the buildings. And, you know, I think that we sort of are pretty, I think it goes back to our, you know, our starting days of being, you know, we, when we really had no work, like really no work and we were sitting around like, what are we going to do today? You know, kind of thing. And we, we started reaching out to a lot of nonprofits and especially Dorchester nonprofits. And, you know, we were like, Hey, we can help you. And we were doing a ton of pro bono work and a ton of this. And we actually kind of got hooked up with the redevelopment of um, the old Pearl Meats hot dog factory. I don't know if you guys know this over, it's on Quincy street in Roxbury and a nonprofit developer bought this like, you know, dog of a building, 36,000 square foot, single story building in a residential neighborhood. And um, it was, 
what comes to mind when shuttered hot dog factory? (laughs) (laughs) When you say that, you know? It was pretty tough. Like, Mm. let me tell you, and this was uh, with Dorchester Bay EDC and, you know, and and we came on and and they were like, you know, had this idea of sort of turning it into basically like a a multi-tenant building. And we were like, okay, you know, and and they wanted to add stories and go up and they want to keep it it, one single story. It's like, it was literally like a adaptive reuse. Yeah. Adaptive reuse that was built over some, you know, period of decades and they just would add like a little square box and a little next little square box and it was not perpendicular to the square box before and so it's like it's a maze i mean a crazy yeah. maze right and so anyways but they were all like um really thick cork walls um like these ancient you know uh freezer walls and and now now you know those are like valuable things and and you know anyway I'll cut you off no no it's it's fine so <laughs> I, 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 gonna say I, I don't even know where i'm going on but i i think what we sorry <laughs> so it was you know so we anyways we 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 helped them kind of re-envision the building with like you know a very very minimal amount of money and you know one of the things that we we did was we introduced some skylights right and we were like well let's put some skylights in the belly of the beast right just these really long beautiful skylights and they were cheap as could be but it was a found sort of light in the middle of this dark thing that was like so cool and yeah. amazing and i remember we walked in the first day and they're like wow you know and it's just like that was it it yeah. was not, and so maybe not a Rolls Royce from a price no, tag, no. But, but a moment of like, that was a design process that we talked about. And we're like, people are going to work here. People need to sort of, you know, function here. Let's make it a little bit better for them. And so, you know, I think those are, those are all part of sort of how we think and, and talk about the work and, and, and think about those things. So it's not always a dollar, you know, yeah. driven by dollars. It's just driven by being a little bit creative. So, yeah. And we're also accustomed now to seeing value engineering lists at some point during a project. And I have, you know, my biggest critique of value engineering is like to sell me on a Rolls Royce and then bring me over to the Honda section. That's not value engineering, but often there are examples within there. And there are some items on the list that I've made sort of a best of or a highlights. I mean, to me on our scale of development, I like, you know, if I can do a mold window assembly instead of like a custom glass storefront, et cetera, I think that that, that usually works really well. I've had some success with thin brick instead of real masonry as, as a way to save some money. Um, and then, I don't know, I was going to see if there's, if there's anything that, that stands out to you guys as you're going through tricks that you've employed that you'd be willing to share. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't give away tr- and too many tr- 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 <laughs> No. Hey, let's give them something that's not. Listen, tissue paper. Now that would be really mean, but I was, you know, I, I think we, 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 it's really like just a team. And I would recommend good landscape architects and, yeah. and people that can actually like, you know, extend the design process to more than just like, you know, the footprint of the building. And you need to, just like again, sort of think about like the experience of, of the occupants and, and what it's gonna be like to live there and, and we're very open to all sorts of new materials and you know structural systems and um, anything that can kind of like you know just make it slightly different and yeah. um, you know uh, but but again it's it's sort of like you, you see things that um, others are doing efficiently and, and very well, you know. Mm-hmm. Structural systems is an interesting one. That's yeah. a big lever. It yeah. is a big lever. And, and I think even more so is MEP systems right now. I mean, yeah, and, and, you know, and, and, and 
listen, I mean, we all want to be cool and we want to be, you know, warm when we need to. And, and we also, I think, you know, I think we think a lot about you know, when buildings are, are energy hogs, right? I mean, listen, you, you, you drive anywhere around town at night and you're like, whoa, what the whole thing is lit up, right? So I think as the sort of, you know, the energy code catches up and, you know, Kevin mentioned we're doing passive uh, house on a bunch of things. We're actually doing uh, a fairly large 107 unit uh, passive house um, for a nonprofit developer over in Cambridge called Just a Start. And it's going to be awesome. And that's their mission is to be, uh, you know, a passive house. I mean, in terms of the structure of the building. So energy efficiency and energy and so there's a balance there, right? So you pay a little bit more potentially for uh, the passive and the increased insulation and all the other things that go into that. But, you know, hopefully there's a recognized savings on the other side with a little bit more efficient systems because those are expensive lower operating costs. Lower, yeah, exactly. and lower operating costs. And I think in affordable projects, we're learning a lot about that's obviously really important, right? When the resident is living there for the future, they want to have lower utility bills and all. So it's, you got to sort of really think about it in a global way. But I think mechanical systems are, are something right now we're seeing, you know. Let's dive into the, uh, like the big, the A, the affordability concept here, especially in Boston. And I know that, you know, we, we need a lot of housing and we need it quickly and the city's growing and prices are absurd. And it just seems that there's a lot of resistance in the communities of building, especially, you know, density. So, you know, in your eyes, what, what are you seeing out there and how are you kind of combating that? Um, I know you already touched upon some of the ways that you're kind of designing your buildings around communities and uh, making sure, you know, but, you know, how, how do we move forward and create more affordability in the city so people, you know, can stay here? Well, I think that, you know, you need to I know this is a much larger yeah. question. Wow. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, very let's deep there. Very <laughs> deep. Solve all the problems. Yeah. Yeah. All right, go. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, in 30 seconds. No. Uh, you know, we, we do definitely see, we, we are right on the front lines. You know, like we're there presenting these ideas. I would say 75% of the time, the developer wants us, the architect, to get up there and do the majority of the presentation and discussion with the community. We like it when the developers can be articulate and do that themselves. But when we, we do it, we're, we're listening and, and, you know, again, applying that person in the chair mentality of like, we live here. And it's, it's just a matter of like getting the point across to, to a lot of folks that, um, and, and unfortunately, the, the communities tend to, be more protective of what they already have. And they're, and they're not like in the policy world where we also are listening to the, like the BPDA and, and, and understanding the programs that they're trying to implement and doing things like zero parking in places where you really don't have to have a car to live. You know, we're, we're just, you know, knowing that innovation can probably solve a lot of these problems and you know, just being a little bit more open to the idea of like compact units and, and a different way of living and really thinking about your transportation demand management programs that you can do in, in buildings, you know, car share systems and bikes. And right now, you know, we're, we're designing bike rooms and all the buildings that we're doing and it's gotten really complex, you know, but they're uh, really kind of pushing that. It's, it's, really embodying an urban way of life that I think is kind of foreign to a lot of people that have lived here for 20, 30 years and and they're 
happy that, you know, they've, they've, they got in when they got in and they can, you know, have a car and, and park and things like that. But, you know, I think that we're, we're kind of hoping that the, you know, the world, the community is going to open up a little bit to, you know, more innovative and, you know, dense, you know, situations, especially near transit. It seems like regulation only goes one direction, right? They only add to the book. It seems rare that we go back through from the beginning and start to take things out. And we talk about affordability. It's so so often difficult. Like at the meetings, the architects can't do that. We have to have these. This is code. This is that. No units smaller than this. And and so I don't know. Do you guys see that same tension? Well, of course. I mean, and it's it's a it's a crazy balancing act, right? I mean, we're all on a, a maybe not a high wire, but maybe like a low wire yeah. or something. I don't know what kind of wires we got around. There. But I think you know it is about sort of this idea of trying to balance everything. And and you know, one of the projects we're working on is 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 over in JP with uh, Pine Street Inn and the community builders. And you know that is a hundred percent affordable project with a hundred and forty supportive housing units that Pine Street Inn will be running. Like a pretty unbelievable project that we can, you know, that we ever had the chance to work on. And, you know, we're going through the community process as of everybody else. Right. And here we're, you know, JP is, is, is a little bit more open, obviously to affordability and, and the things that come that, but we're trying to strike that same balance of, you know, we believe in design and we believe in, in good design work. You know, I think affordable projects should be of the same, you know, ethos and level of, as any project and, and be afforded the design sort of, uh, you know, prowess that we see is fitting as a residential project. And, you know, mm-hmm. we want big windows and we want all the things that come with it. And and so I think, you know, it is a balance. And, and in that one, we were trying to balance, you know, the parking quantity and the level and, and to be appropriate for the project. And that was one of the ways we were trying to utilize in an existing basement and some other things that were sort mm-hmm. of nuanced in the project. But it's difficult and it's really difficult to sort of go through a process. But I think that that's one that obviously is very sort of respected in terms of the entity that runs it. So that was, that was a, a, a really amazing process through the community, but we're also seeing, you know, other inventive ways to do it. I think, um, you know, I know you guys had, uh, Benji and, and Danny mm-hmm. on the, 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 the mole brothers on Arc urban, and we're working with them on a couple of projects. And, you know, I think they're looking at affordability differently as well. And, you know, we're working on a new project with them over in Roslindale, Roslindale square. That's, you know, they, they sort of see affordability in kind of the three tiers of, you know, lower, you know, true affordability and then workforce housing and then mm-hmm. market rate in the same building. So you sort of, hit that blend. And then they're sort of, you know, they're going and doing some financing things that are way above my head, you know, in terms of how they do that. But, you know, I think also being creative of how they're going to bring these projects to market and, you know, um, and still sort of give back on affordable level, you know, that's sort of appropriate for the community that's in or something. So it's complex. It's really hard. And it's getting harder. Totally harder. I mean, totally harder. And and as you mentioned, you know, site acquisition is probably really probably the biggest, you know, challenge of that, I would assume. And, you know, how do you sort of, you know, pr- bring units online that you're already sort of, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars per unit on yeah. site acquisition already. Yeah. right? And, and, you know, you have a, a, a sort of a, a, a cap that you have to sort of manage because of the funding aspect of it through yeah. the state or the federal that, you know, they see it through a different lens and they're sort of a, giving off a certain amount of money based on whatever the sort of criteria is. And you're like, well, but we've already burned that to buy the land. Mm-hmm. We haven't even built anything mm-hmm. yet. And so 
Um, so it's really difficult. And, you know, I think the state of Massachusetts is probably sort of different than other states, I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, we're starting to sort of look outside of Boston a little bit, which is kind of fun. You know, we're learning some things about maybe how other places do it too. So, I mean, here's the other rub, right? Like what is a home for most people? They call it an investment. They don't want to see it depreciate in value. But if we want true affordability, then do we all just have to make that sacrifice, right? Do prices have to go down? So this is a very, that's my yeah. high level thing. But oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, basically, if you want it to be more affordable, you either need a lot of density so you can afford to build it with that scale. Yeah. But on the single, double, triple, that, that sort of thing, I don't see how that works yeah, without I mean, someone getting burned yeah. on one end or the other. I think in Boston, Boston needs to grow up. I've said this before. Yeah. I, <laughs> yep. It's the only place we can go. I mean, we have a huge problem with congestion, uh, you know, all the other associated and, and height is a great solution. And it's something that we should avail ourselves of more. Yeah. So. Well, and that's, that's something that we, we do is mm -hmm. when you, you were mentioning that, that block on the Talbot project, you know, we, we at least sort of start with what's the reasonable max that we can mm -hmm. expect here. And, you know, obviously it's not going to just be this giant ice cube that sort of plunks down on the site, but we would act at least just say, okay, well, if we just leave a little bit of a six story area on something mm. and, and we carve and shape it, you know, cool, not that bad, yeah. you know, and on a site like that, there's a, you know, a big area where there's no other housing around it. And if you can kind of make it work, um, you know, uh, sort of compositionally, it, nobody should be too afraid of, of height. Um, you know, um, it just, obviously there's, there's places that you see that it's like, oops, you kind of went a little too high there, but, <laughs> um, but it, I, it, well, it's all within the context of the surrounding well, area because you've got be. hills and flat area and not to fixate on that particular project, but there's also like a really inefficient use of public roadway, which I think mm -hmm. is also being repurposed. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, and so I, I don't know. And that's that's one of those aspects that I, I was kind of talking about. That that became a, a bit of a, a rallying point in our in our process of like, you know, we, we got to do something about this sea of asphalt in, yes. in there. And like, it, it's clearly like an urban planning mistake to have like a <laughs> so so much asphalt. And um, that then became just like public space and and you know softened with benches. And now it's going to be out in front of like a new, a market in that area. Um, and, and we, you know, try to really push, push the envelope on, on what that site could do from a, a density standpoint. Well, our tenants will appreciate the market. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, no, you have a site next door to that. Yeah. Yes. We own, yeah. yeah. We own some buildings right yeah. across the street. Yep. Yeah. So. We believe in height. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's not a question about that. I think we probably believe in the right height and we also believe in you know, that height also comes with other responsibilities, right? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, that might be more open space or more whatever it might be. But I think it's about sort of thinking again about the, the global aspect of a project and, and thinking about it through. And, you know, I think we hear, we hear this a lot in the, you know, you're setting a precedent, you're setting a precedent, right? And, and, you know, I guess I don't feel that way. And, and I, I kind of, I feel like projects should be uh, reviewed or understood or embraced or whatever it is on their own merits, each project. And, and, you know, we don't have a zoning, um, you know, sort of aspect in the city that's kind of of today, I would mm -hmm. say. And so there's obviously a ton of planning studies going on in the city and all over. It feels like every neighborhood has got a planning study going on. And, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, moving in the right direction. And I think it's starting to sort of 
get somewhere with that. But, you know, we need that adopted and we need that put into zoning. And then Mm -hmm. it's sort of like we'll start to establish some of that. And then the sort of variance process will have a different sort of aspect of it. But I think that thinking about it more globally is, is what we need to do to be able to sort of have areas that can handle height and density. You know, I think like the South Boston study, I mean, I think that's something that's been, you know, we've worked a little bit in it and we understand a little bit in it. And I think there, you know, there, that area does, you know, I think can have some height in it. It's on the red line. It has all the other aspects that's going for it. And, you know, that's something that uh, we're hopeful to see develop, you know, over the next years. I feel like these studies are never ending or never get like actually stamped and like actually, you know, they remind me adopted. Yeah. Yeah. They're like kind of like guidelines, they're unofficial guidelines and they're kind of abiding by what they've, what they've published, but they never actually like push them in. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we need them pushed in (laughs) or pushed out. out. Probably need to edit that. No, (laughs) but I think, you know, but, but, yeah, most cities have a right a, the planning and a zoning and, a, and guidelines that people know. I mean, uncertainty is not good for anybody, right? And and I think you know we all have been in the, in the in the process, and you know we want to sort of have a better sense of what the the end game is going to be. Mark loves the uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, well I, I think it, both it, you a, and Mark a, maybe like that's the, the high wire part. Yeah. 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 I think I, I, think I might have pulled Dan over to my side now. <laughs> After Get some predictability. Burned. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, it's like, you know, all of Boston. I mean, first of all, like half of Boston got filled in. So like the land was just came out of nowhere. And now it got built on in the first generational growth of it. And now we're at that point where, okay, well, there's really no like farmland left. So now what do we do? I mean, there's city owned lots that can be put back into service, if you will, with their criteria, but it's not really at the density in, in some cases. Uh, so it's almost like, yeah, it's like doing one of these studies and then just saying, okay, well, this neighborhood is is just going to be its own new little center or this logistically makes sense to be a little more dense versus another area. You know, we've heard about like the green line extension and I think we've heard about, Dan, we were talking about it forever, the, the uh, commu- a part of the commuter rail that might be turned into some kind of like light rail thing down south of Boston. So it's like, how much more do we need to focus on expanding our public transit to allow for more of these density type projects in the city, not necessarily outside of it in the suburbs. Well, that's not something, well, that's not entirely different conversation. I know, I know. Yeah. High level stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's all interwoven, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that I feel like generally, and, you know, we're all trying to make our city better. Right. And I think we, we do it through whatever we do. And I think that we want to work with the city and we want to work with, through that process. And, you know, I think the, the studies do help start to put some frameworks around things. But I think we do need to, you know, help hopefully move those into sort of something that we can all kind of rely on a little bit more and push forward. Yeah, I think the studies are, are kind of like relief valves for, for these communities that were just getting like clobbered by proposals over and over and over again, kind of facing the same things. And, and, I think the residents and, and we see it, you know, just get overwhelmed by by everything. And, you know, I you got to sympathize with them, you know, and they, and if they're volunteering their time to go out and, and evaluate things and they're and and they're seeing the same things and no one's learning from anything. The studies at least give a, a long form to the discussion. And I think whether or not they get adopted again is another topic for another podcast, but at least having the chance for people to kind of get together and, and yeah. sort of like 
really talk about a, a range of, of issues counts for something. I think they, you know, they, they tell you stuff, you know, like the JP one we've worked a lot on and, and, you know, the bonus densities and, and stuff like that, you know, they're really kind of hard for developers to, to make work and, and for the community to be in the same sort of yes category as the, as a developer in the city. I thought maybe we could bring this down to, uh, from 30,000 feet to the ground here, do a quick game of overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. <laughs> so we'll throw out a couple terms, ideas, products, and uh, you guys give us your hot take on uh, as to whether you think they're overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. So I'll kick it off here. Boston City Hall. Oh, going right there. Yeah. <laughs> what, you got to be more specific. What, what do you mean? Like, well, the, the building itself. The coffee shop is oh, amazing yeah, forgive in there. Me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good answer. I, I specifically meant the design, not any of the inhabitants or people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The, uh, for those not familiar, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty concrete, I intense building. People, yeah. <laughs> Love it or hate I, it. I'm going to say, I'll just go out on a limb and say it's underrated. All right. You know, and, and I think the collective uh, opinion in the city is like, I hate that thing. But you're talking to people who kind of understand, or maybe just me, but like uh, history and, and you kind of understand where, where it's taken us and, and what it did. You know, I think it could be certainly improved on in, in different areas, but I, I think that no one's ever going to build something like that ever again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, go in there and just appreciate it. And I like, like it. get into the no yeah. nooks and crannies I and see the skylights and, and you know, like if you really kind of got in there, mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing place. And, and I, I think they've done a good job with a little, the little cafe and mm -hmm. some of the livability aspects that they're, they're trying to do there. I haven't been down to see the new park outside, but you know, I'll throw the uh, you on yeah. that one. No, I think, I don't think your limbs that sort of like thin, you know, I think it's underrated as well. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we talk about a lot in, in our projects and about building as of today, right? That was built mm -hmm. of its time at that time, right? And yeah. so you have to sort of embrace that and, you know, love it or hate it and go in there and the walls are cold and all the things yeah. that go with it. It's probably tough to work, but it represents a time of, you know, design and architecture that for us as, as you know, I'm not a history buff, but we get it and we understand why it was there. And, and I think it represents something. And I think it's also a great talking point of like exactly this, right? Yeah. You know, like some people love it. Some people, most people don't understand it. And that's cool. It's you like know? good art. It yeah. provokes thought and conversation. And totally. I, yeah. I, I'll be the third on underrated and uh, <laughs> kick it to Dan. All right. Well, at the, yeah. yeah. Lead certification. For a building, like pursuing formal lead certification. Yeah. And now what kind? Because there's like four different. Oh, okay. just the no, concept in general. I'm going to go right down the middle, say appropriately yeah. rated. And now it gives us a chance to throw in the passive house and mm -hmm. stuff like that because lead, it just really blankets everything like materials, you know, processes, you know, prerequisites and, and stuff like that. So it trains you to do the right thing, but diverge off into passive house. If once, as a building nerd, you know, like if you, you get into the system, once you do one, you, you kind of can't unsee the, the process of things that you have you're resolved in, in your building systems. So I just think that, um, you know, lead, lead could be a little harder, harder hitting, but um, it generally, you know, it should stay. I think it's like a little bit overrated, maybe. Uh, that's kind of like a cheapy thing to say, but like, I feel like it's become so commercialized in yes. some weird yeah. way. 
And, and I think that obviously the essence of it is we believe in, we, 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 you know, we love sustainable design and architecture and both Kevin and I have an environmental design and architecture degree actually, which is something I don't know what, you know, but we learned it early on. And, and so I think it's inherent how we think about the work and then, you know, but I, everybody needs a carrot, right. And a stick or whatever to get, get it through. Mm -hmm. And that's what it feels like it's yeah. become a little bit. So it's doing a good thing, but I think it's also become a little bit of, you know, sort of over commercialized in my brain but agree yeah ray ray dog yeah uh so i'm i was gonna say floor to ceiling windows but i'm gonna go bigger than that i'm gonna say just buildings that are almost all or the majority of them the exterior is glass so curtain wall buildings and it can be residential commercial glass mixed buildings use. okay glass buildings okay. yeah all right yeah well there's certainly been a number of them recently there have from one one Dalton down to uh, I'm trying to think of. I'm thinking of like Seaport area. There's been a couple like. I mean, that. it is. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say overrated. You know, I think that it's it's, it's tough to use one material on a building, mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of a mistake. You know, and I think the aspects of mixing materials. I mean, it's it's always a personal thing. Uh, you know, you said uh, tough to use one material. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's easy to use oh, one. Yeah. Right? It's tough to make one. Outcome looks tough, and and yeah, I'm know, on the same page. I, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's easy. Okay, I well, think it's, it's easier to building, use a glass building. Yeah. It, it, it's like it's it's supposed to be this like shiny modern thing, but you know you can do you can say you're innovative by not just going with that one, you know, quote modern material. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that, that buildings can be modern and, and expressive and all that. So, yeah, I mean, and I think buildings are a composition of something, right. And so sometimes I think that's what happens. You, you sort of a, a, a single material and you lose it a composition cause it's just mm -hmm. itself. Right. And so maybe you can change the mullions and do the, the, the simple things. But, um, I think, I, 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 yeah, that was an interesting one. That's good. All right. Back to me here. Uh, basement dwelling units. I don't know what made me think of it. I'm just really random. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm going to I'm going to abstain from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needs to abstain on that. I have to abstain on that. <laughs> I'm going to say underrated. Yeah. I think that certainly, you know, health and welfare, we know that you can design something to be safe and and um you you need natural light. So a true basement Without any windows, no. <laughs> yeah. But like um, something that sort of is close to the definition can still work and probably be fine. But it, you know, there, there's some costs to doing that. There's yeah. a lot of thermal moisture issues and it's hard, things man. that you got to overcome. But you know, you, you shouldn't just be, you know, dismiss it all altogether. You know, there's usually some part of a, a building footprint that could be more exposed to the outside walls and stuff like that. So. Uh -huh in this nature of, of trying to find units and find places to convert, you know, we, we probably should, you know, put that in the uh, underrated category and, and try to spur some, some innovation on that, you know, yeah, it's free square, square footage. It's there for the taking, just build it right. Yeah. You know, yeah. floor area ratio. Excuse me. Floor area ratio. Oh, FAR. Nervous to ask that Holy one. Yeah. That's like <laughs> very theoretical, like real estate question right there um well i mean uh, how, yeah. you're like asking uh this is a tough one a square foot what yeah. about that like yeah. well, oh, well okay. you're so square mm. you foot I, um I, like, I guess it's just the the no, general no, the clarification is dimensional tables for zoning concerns <laughs> versus 
I did. Oh, so the concept mean, like of if, restricting if you had a density. List of yeah. Violations, and one of them was yeah. FAR. Uh, um, I'm more about like Somerville's uh, form-based zoning and dimensional zoning. Like, uh, if you were to ask me, I'd just say dimensional zoning is overrated. Like, it's it's silly to have a table that has just firm numbers, and it. it's like let's let's talk about shapes and how buildings yeah, fit yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I, if I'm reading Dan's mind, we've done 70 episodes. I yeah. think that's what that's, we, yes. Eric and I yes. do that all yeah. the time. Yeah. 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 Thank you for the clarification. Pleasure. Yeah. And I, you know, probably overrated. Yeah. Dimension. You know, I, I would say that, you know, if, if we could just have some, a little bit more understanding among the populace to, yeah. you know, yeah. what, what contributes to a building's size. It's not just, you know, the, the, you know, square footage of the floors added up, you know? Yeah. Um, it seems it's, it's silly. Mm-hmm. It's silly. I mean, random or yeah. whatever, not really understood, right? Mm-hmm. It's like arbitrary, arbitrary ish. Yeah. To, I mean, to put a cap on that, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Especially, you know, if you have a massive lot, it's, you know, it's, yeah. we're, we're, we won't get it. Dan's going on a tangent there. No, I don't want to so I'm not going to say parking requirements, but I'm going to say, you know, we've talked about buildings where if they're focused on transit, it's like, you know, no parking. And then other areas where people definitely demand and the community demands and, and it rightfully so, you should have parking. So to achieve that, how about the autonomous parking systems? Like, you know, you park your car mm. and then it yeah. moves it all Ooh. around. Uh, we're doing several of those now. And uh, I would say that they're probably underrated in some sense. Um, that's just an in- innovative technology that... The more we we try it, mm-hmm. some systems might not be so great, and yeah. you could be really annoyed as an occupant. But um, I think um, that's probably like this this sort of like tension that the world will work out of like you know I moved into this building and the and the car system was so slow, uh-huh. so I'm going to go to another building, you know, yeah. or you know like you'll you'll spark this sort of like innovation, this like improvement in the technology or or. I just get rid of my car and, and get a nice bike, you know. Well, I want Dan and Ray to build them first, and then I'll, okay. I'll build those things. There you go. Yeah. I mean, we've, I'm good. we've looked yeah. at a couple, yeah. and I mean, there's there's one over by our office on on Wareham Street that we went and looked at, and I mean, it was like mind blowing, right? Because you just threw your car into a little door and it yeah. went down, and it just moves on these sort of things that shaped around, and it was badass, yeah. you know. Yeah. But like, I'm like what this is where we're to this point you know it's like crazy we have machines that, and maybe we need to be there i don't know and i and i think you know obviously stackers and everything are mm-hmm. i don't think they're going to pan out like we think they're going to maybe you mm-hmm. know it's not going to be the savior of it all i think we're going to have to change <coughs> a little bit culturally and i think we are seeing that change of you know we we are doing projects with zero parking in it and and what we're finding is you know we're definitely there by t stations or, or kind of connectivity to that but we or we might be doing them with one or two parking spots that then have a car share for the building and i think that's a kind of a really cool hmm. aspect of you know sort of a, a so zip. the developer buys a few cars or there, or there's there's entities now there's nonprofits mm-hmm. and for-profit entities out there that will service manage it you know insurance is paid and you know if you got to go to the market then you just you check out the car and you shot, shoot to the market and get back. And so you're distilling down, you know, I, I know there's stats and Kevin's mm-hmm. really good at stats about how mm-hmm. little we actually drive our cars and, mm-hmm. you know, on a 24 hour, it's like yeah. three minutes out of the day or I don't know what it is, but it's some really low number. And so if we can consolidate the uses and the needs and get sort of to that point in our brains, 
I think it might help. And then maybe we can save on not building garages and things that also drive the cost of construction, right? I mean, so again, it's, it's sort of trying to figure yeah. out that balance. Um, I mean, it's cliche and it's obvious, but um, my folks were up from uh, New York and I took them to Newberry Street and also the North End. And it is just amazing how much space we waste on vehicle parking. What two cars took up is now 50 people enjoying dinner. And yeah. it's like, which one of these would you rather see? Dan Park yeah. his freaking Ford F-150 or 30 families? Having <laughs> no. Why do we opt for the former? Like, I totally Depends agree. on if we have a project there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. We don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was just in the North End. My son just graduated from BC High and he was like, let's go to the North End for lunch or whatever. We went in there and I was blown away. Yeah. Like, you know, seeing yeah. the street sort of full mm -hmm. of people. I was like, this is badass. That is so, so cool. That is yeah. so amazing. And I'm like, just shut the whole street down. And yeah. Just make I think it there's something. appropriate times to definitely do that. All like, the and time. then make it not all the time necessarily. Yes. I mean, what go if back you have to New to, Hampshire, right? They, <laughs> But what about, no, yeah, there's, I mean, I think there's been, you know, COVID obviously been, it's, it's horrible, but there has been some sort of very innovative things that grown out of that. And I think that's one of them to me. It's just really cool to activate our streets in a different way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'll add another one real quick to overrate underrate, but uh, like package rooms for, because we've kind of gone to this point where to tack onto this car discussion, everything's getting delivered now. Everybody's getting them. So how important is that to the design of a building that you said like a community or yeah. useful room? Yep. Do you see those growing and getting more important? Well, is that an overrated, underrated, related question? Yeah. 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 How do you do that? I package don't know. Room. But let me tell you the package rooms and the bike slash food delivery, anything like that. Package Flex. rooms and bike rooms. And yeah. then, I, you know, refrigeration yeah. is like something we're seeing all the time because yeah. all these sort of, you know, blue ribbon or, or whatever they're called, uh, blue plate. Oh yeah. Blue, yep. Uh, Hello Fresh. Hello Fresh. Blue Apron. Yeah. Blue Apron. They're coming, right? And they need to be stored. And, and, the, and so now we're putting refrigerators and things. And it's just like, it's a, it's a new way to do it, you know? And there's, um, we did uh, the Radiant building in, in Chinatown and, and we worked with Forest City right there. And, and they, they were very um, formulaic about how they manage their tenant services and things. Mm -hmm. and we learned a lot about that in that. They had the biggest... Um, package room it had stacks and refrigerator and that was like 10 years ago it seemed like they were ahead of the curve on that i think that experience for us sort of like really opened it up about like you know there, there's uh there's something to like a lot of people living in a small amount of space and mm -hmm. um it just, it always just gets distributed in different, different ways. Yeah. I mean, I think the next iteration is just, uh, Procopio said it a few weeks ago, but, uh, inter-building deliveries. So forget a package room, just deliver it to the lobby and have somebody who goes and puts the food in your refrigerator, because we're not going to keep up with the package rooms at Christmas, no matter how big you make them. Totally. So figure totally. it out a different way. Yeah. Anyway, I got none. Uh, he has anything else? I no, no. Uh, I got nothing left here, but uh, yeah, no, I think I mean this has been awesome. It's been, been a great cool conversation. conversation. Yeah, Thank I really you guys appreciate for coming. It, guys. In. If uh, folks want to find Rody, have questions about an upcoming project design, how can they find you guys? What's the best way? RodyArchitects.com. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we keep a pretty good Instagram page going, sort of like what's happening inside the firm and what we're building in the model shop, and you know what's out on site and stuff like that. So we try to keep all that stuff pretty pretty active, pretty fresh. So. Yeah, it's yeah. important to us as an office, and I think it's important to get the message out there a little bit. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening, rating, subscribing. See you on the next one. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Bye.